Welcome to the Bible Unbound podcast, Ancient Mysteries of the Scriptures Explored. My name is Jim. I'm host of this podcast, and I want to welcome you to our first episodes of 2024. We are going to be investigating the book of Revelation. I want to begin this morning by just reading the first few verses of the book of Revelation, but I think we'll take the first couple of episodes and devote them to introductory matters so we can get an idea of what to expect in this book. Now let's read the first five verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. When you came to Christ, you were probably told that you had a total of 66 books in the Bible, 27 of which would be the New Testament. Well, then, why is it that so many Christians, perhaps you, act as though we do not have 27 books of the New Testament, but rather 26? By that, I mean to say that the book of Revelation is oft neglected. It is probably the most neglected of all of the books in the New Testament in terms of its interest and usefulness to the believer. Theological traditions in the Western Church, primarily America, perhaps to a lesser extent European and Australian churches, have embraced a theological tradition over the last couple of hundred years that have made the book of Revelation a complex puzzle in a way that obscures the book even more than the mysterious content is already. But I want to begin by asserting that the book of Revelation is beautiful and majestic beyond description. Think of it this way. Where in the Gospels show Jesus walking the dusty roads of Galilee or Emmaus or Bethany to Jerusalem, Revelation sees Jesus, the Son of Man, walking in the midst of of the golden lampstands. Or, in the Gospels, we see him seated on a colt of a donkey riding into the city of Jerusalem to meet his appointed destiny with death. But Revelation shows him as the faithful and true, seated on a white horse going forth unto victory, followed by the armies of heaven. Or, Again, in the upper room at the Last Supper with his ragtag band of followers, 
while Revelation pictures him as the groom of heaven coming forth to meet his bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Or Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you? But Revelation shows the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven that needs no sun. And yet, there's at the same time no darkness, because the Lamb is the shining lamp. What a revelation of vision and perspective and Not only that, but of comfort for those who fear an unveiling of the love of God and the triumph and ultimate victory for all who are in Him. I want to suggest that the book of Revelation is kind of like the IMAX theater of the Bible. You know, the largest IMAX theater in the world is in a place called Leonberg, Germany. This screen is approximately 125 feet wide by 72 feet tall. That's about 12 stories wide, 7 stories tall. Imagine if you were from an ancient tribe in Africa or South America, and suddenly some missionaries show you a cell phone, and you're amazed at the videos that that cell phone can play. But then you're taken to that IMAX theater in Leonberg, Germany. The theater is dark. You can't see even to the next seat over. Suddenly, as you're sitting there waiting, the screen bursts to life with incredible sweeping images that surround you. And every corner of your vision, incredible sights are rushing toward you. So is the book of Revelation taking things that are taught elsewhere in the Bible and presenting them for us in visual representation as if taking us into that IMAX theater of the soul. For example, Matthew 28, 18, we all know that is the Great Commission. Go, therefore. How does it end? Lo, I am with you always. Or Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Well, the book of Revelation shows Jesus walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, which are explained to us in Revelation 1 verse 20. The candlesticks are the churches. Christ is seen walking in the midst of them. Or, There's Christ, the bride, who is described for us in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul gives his teaching on the roles of marriage partners. And he says, I tell you a mystery, I'm speaking of Christ in the church. Well, that scene explodes for us in Revelation 19 with what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Or, again, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. All power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. That's how the Great Commission is introduced. Well, we see that in Revelation chapter 5 with the coronation of the Lamb, who takes the scroll from him who sits upon the throne, and then he begins to loose the seals. And when he looses the seals, things occur in rapid succession upon the earth. 
we've come into the IMAX theater of the Bible to see that which is taught elsewhere brought to us in living picture form. And that's God's kindness to us because he knows that we tend to learn things better through visual representation than through more didactic or teaching-oriented themes such as found in the epistles of Paul. So the book of Revelation is a majestic book, but why was it written? What's its purpose? The primary purpose of the book of Revelation was to comfort the militant church in its struggle against the forces of evil. You and I as believers are watching our once great nation dismantle into demonic oppression and tyranny. There are a number of ways in which oppression and tyranny seem to be breaking loose into our country, along with the coincident decline in the moral fabric and the moral goodness of this nation. The pedophilia and the sex trafficking and the immorality, the darkness, the dark agendas that are floating around, it can almost be overwhelming. It can feel like a veil of oppression rises above us. But imagine the Christians of the first century to whom the book of Revelation was originally written. Imagine here you are as a, as a single, simple believer in Christ Maybe you attend the local home church. But wherever you were, whether you were in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, or if you were in Asia Minor, in what we now call the nation of Turkey, or Paul was planting numerous churches, wherever you were, if there was a Jewish population around you, a population of ethnic Jews, you were a target. You were despised. You were hated. And you always had that oppression that would be surrounding you. The Apostle Paul knew that oppression constantly, wherever he went. But above that was another layer of oppression because the nation of Israel was actually a territory of the Roman Empire at this point. And so you had the godless pagan Caesars and the empire over your head as well as the local Jewish community. So you had at least two levels of constant political oppression, and it could turn quickly violent in just a moment. The book of Revelation was written for such believers who are living in suffering. And so Revelation is full of help and comfort for the persecuted. The assurance that God sees their tears and will wipe them away. That's Revelation 7, as well as Revelation 21. Or that the prayers of the saints are powerful and influential in world affairs. That's Revelation chapter 5, and Revelation chapter 8. That the death of his saints is precious in his sight, and that their final victory is assured. Their blood will be avenged, that Christ actually lives and reigns, and he's alive, and that he governs the world in the interest of his church, and also that he's coming again to take his people unto himself 
in the marriage supper of the Lamb and to live with them forever and ever in a rejuvenated universe, Revelation 21 and 22. So its primary purpose was a comfort and assurance to the struggling early church. But if the scene of Christ walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, as we see in the first chapter, means anything, it's that these seven churches are representation of the church throughout her entire history. And that means Christ is still doing the same thing. He's walking, even today. He's walking in the midst of his seven churches. And so the book of Revelation shows the scene in chapter 1 where Jesus lays his right hand upon John, who is crumbling before this great vision of the Lord And Jesus says to him, fear not, I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So that's why the book was written. The comfort of the church throughout all of her ages, from the first century unto this very day. So what's its theme? What is the central core message of the book of Revelation? Well, I want to submit that it's in the very first five words of the book, where we read, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. See this, these first five words, take them to heart, and you will be able to make sense of the rest of the book in a far more effective manner than you could if you miss these first five golden words of blessing. See it, and you'll be able to comprehend it. Miss it, and you'll have nothing. Nothing but maybe a few broken helicopters, a few linear charts, some frustrated newspaper reports, the hope of a third temple that never gets built, and perhaps a copy or two of the Left Behind series. That's all you're going to have. But to be even more specific, it's about the unveiling of Christ as victorious, conquering over all the enemies of the light. So what Paul describes in Colossians 2.15, he says he disarmed, that is Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is described there is set forth here in the IMAX of Revelation. But it's not just Christ's victory. The victory scene in Revelation 19 describes it this way, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, And he has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Notice verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's the church. Or chapter 20, 
We see Satan leading a host of nations against the church. In verse 9, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the apocalypse is meant to show us that things are not as they seem. The beast, false prophet, Babylon, introduced to us chapter 13 and 14. They each seem victorious over the church, but Revelation shows us it only seems like they triumph. In Revelation 11, where we're introduced to this interesting topic of the two witnesses, Two witnesses who seem to have this universal, global influence. It says in verse 7, And when they have finished their testimony, the beast rises from the bottomless pit and will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, some of the peoples, tribes, and languages, and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse them to be placed in a tomb. Those who dwell upon the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because the, these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But you know what the next verse says? Here's the rest of the story, verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So again, the theme, victory of Christ and his church over the powers of darkness, and that things are not as they seem. We typically think of a lamb as meek or even weak. But in Revelation, the lamb conquers death. Hades, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the men who worship the beast, he is victorious. And as a result, so are we, even when we seem to be hopelessly defeated. So again, the theme of the book of Revelation is stated very briefly In Revelation 17, verse 14, These shall war against the Lamb, and the Lamb shall conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they also shall conquer that are with him, that are called, chosen, and faithful. So I want to take just a minute to close our podcast episode this morning by illustrating the titles that are given to Jesus. There's about 36 different titles that are given to Christ in the book, but I want to just mention a sample. Here they are. He's called Faithful Witness. He's called Prince of the Kings of the Earth. He's called Alpha and Omega. He's called First and Last. He's called He Who Holds the Seven Stars. Another one, He Who Walks in the Midst of the Golden Candlesticks. Or he who has the sharp sword with two edges. He who searches the reins of the hearts. He who is holy and true. The lion of the tribe of Judah. A lamb as if it was slain. Lord of lords. King of kings. Rider on the white horse. 
the Word of God, the beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ, and the revelation that is from Jesus Christ. He is both the source and he is also the object of the book of Revelation. I want to close here. I thank you for joining with us, and we hope you'll join us again in about a week. Until then, have a very blessed day.